Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Collapse Talk with Gabriel, and I'm glad that you could join me. I'm kind of recording a bit late. Uh, to be honest, I've been dealing with uh, this infection on my skin. It's a pretty... It, it sucks. Uh, you know, I wanted to get something out at least, but lately I've just been a bit drowsy taking antibiotics and such. It's uh, It sucks. And I have no health insurance, so that's you know lovely that I have to know do mental calculations before doctor's visit um but yeah i mean i'm okay for now so i'm just gonna record i'm recording a bit late but i'm just gonna talk and put on new episode especially with the uh, recent developments this week you know it's yeah a lot has happened so i need to you know hit while the the iron's hot but yeah um you know just wanted to talk you know just about everything that's happening in the world uh it's just you know before i do that just you know want to you know talk about just personal developments or you know just really just trying to segue into that stuff but uh yeah i mean yeah i just i have a couple weeks before my classes start so i have that to look forward to it's like I'm just like the. I, I just wanted to start now because like this the, the, this wait time is like killing me. But I was talking about starting up with an insurance uh, job. Although I had to research and take an exam, a state exam, and I passed first time pass. Although I passed by like four points, but a pass is a pass. So uh, that you know, I was really worried about, and I got that. Um, I still have to do like because I, I did the test. So now I have to do fingerprinting and I have to apply with the State Department of Insurance. Still a whole process, but that was a big hurdle. And then also we have to do onboarding for this job. I don't even know what it's going to be about. So, yeah, it's like I left this phone banking position. And, you know, honestly, I would have wanted to still, I, I still wanted to do the phone banking. But those people were just, it, you know, it's always one of those things where the job is not the problem. It's the management. <laughs> and... I was doing the job. I was doing it. I, I know my results and my performance, and I was doing pretty well. And of course, though, these uh, supervisors were only focused on the one or two calls that were a bit off. And they get really hyper fixated on that. And, you know, it, it's just like they don't pay attention to your results from the last couple of weeks. If you have one bad day where you're a bit behind on goals, they cut your hours. And that to me was unacceptable. And then not only that, we're also putting us in these work, uh, these workshops, you know, just putting us through these little uh, virtual meetings. And, you know, that's the thing about like corporate stuff. You know, I'm I, I'm sticking with remote because like that they always do this. They always do these meetings where it's like, OK, guys, listen, you know, they, they got the smile on your face. But it's uh, very obviously like very intimidating, to be honest. Because they, they say stuff like, well, if we cut you, uh, you know, twice in a week, then you're up for termination. So it's like they, they threaten you, even though they, they say that they're trying to look out for you. I'm sorry, that's my cat scratch and I have to keep her uh, in the room right now because she'll bite my feet. So if you hear scratching, that's her or meowing. I'll try to edit that out. But yeah, so that, that um, yeah, they just kept putting us through these calls and uh, through these workshops and they kept, you know, chiming in. You're doing great. But, you know, you're saying narrow, but it's narrow, okay? So you have to say narrow, okay? And plus, like, we're not really detecting any passion because you're just reading the script verbatim. And, you know, we want to make people feel warm and fuzzy, you know, because right now we're discussing, um, you know, 
you know, women being second-class citizens and, you know, uh, of a genocide of trans people and LGBTQ people, right? So, yeah, I mean, you got to make people, people feel warm and fuzzies. I'm just like, this is why I can't stand liberals and liberal, neoliberal workspaces because it's this kind of stuff that's just so disconnected, you know? It's still about the business at the, the, at the end of the day. So that's why, I mean, and I'm going into insurance, so, of course, it's like, uh, it's like, really, like insurance and you're a communist, but, you know, I got to pay the bill still, you know, and hey, you know, I, I it's job security, especially considering, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about the economic situation later on, but it's job security. It's something that I can, you know, build on like an actual career. Uh, yeah, you know, I just, I got to, you know, I got to fucking survive and yeah, you know, it's just. You know, this is what I'm doing for now. Like the the, the insurance stuff, like that's the side hustle because I can earn money through that and then build on this program and other projects I have in mind. Although I have like a whole semester ahead of me. Uh, just I have this last year, hopefully to get through and then I got my degree and it's a lot. It's crunch time. It really is. And, you know, I'm trying to take it easy, although this infection that I'm fighting right now, it kind of sucks. But yeah. Um, I'm just thinking though, like, cause there was some recent Twitter drama and like, I don't even know who this is. Like, there's always some Twitter drama and I'm just like, who, I don't know who this is. And it's um, some, some Anna Mardal or something like that. Like she's working for Lockheed Martin or something like that. So I'm just thinking like, at least I'm not do, trying to, you know, I know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but come on, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gotta work for the, you know, the defense contractors, uh, cause I'm neurodivergent. I don't know. I don't know the whole story for that, but. Yeah, I gotta, you know, I still have to look out for my career, but, you know, as I said, the insurance is the side hustle. But anyway, um, I think that's what I wanted to touch up on for now. But yeah, you know, just talking about recent developments this week, because it's been a pretty big week. Uh, it's been pretty, uh, uh, how do you say this? You know, yeah, it, it's just a lot. Uh, you know, consider not just because I'm talking about this Chinese Taiwan situation, but other developments in Gaza, current conflict heating up, and you know, Ukraine situation, uh, corruption and black market traffic trafficking becoming uh, coming to light. So, yeah, I'm going to talk about that in this episode. But you know, just. You know, again, I'm glad that y'all are just listening and tuning in for this. Um, and yeah, so we'll just go ahead. But this whole, you know, I'm going to start because usually I do domestic first, but I am going to start with the Chinese or just international segment and you know, start with the China Taiwan crisis that's unfolding. Thanks to Nancy Pelosi, our, our great speaker of the house, our glorious leader. But yeah, man, this is just so like it's theater, but Millions of people's lives are at risk. I mean, Taiwan has 23 million people on it, and it's a small island. So, you know, it's like she's put those people like on the on their target. And again, it's so funny. Like you see some people talking about why are you supporting Chinese imperialism? Like, how can it be imperialism if it's their own land? <laughs> if it's their own land and their own people, how is that imperialism? You know, like, and this is not me, like. Because we want to have conversations about, say, the, the South China Sea and their 
you know, expansion in that region. Yeah, I don't fully support that. And I don't think that's the best idea for China. But at the same time, like, yeah, you know, we, the United States has total control of the Mexican, the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean. So it's like, you know, we're, we're, doing, the, we're doing the same thing. But uh, what I mean to say with Taiwan, at least, is, you know, it's very interesting to see all these people coming out against China when they're like literally defending because uh, Taiwan calls himself the Republic of China. Like they, they don't really see how things unfolded for this situation to occur because really this is like, like imagine if after the end of the Civil War, these uh, Confederates, they moved to say the Florida Keys, right? And for whatever reason, the British just like stop the Americans from taking over those islands, you know, so say like, because, you know, the British, they had plenty of industrialists that were, uh, you know, arm in arm with the Confederates because they needed the cotton, although they started getting cotton from India. But yeah, they still wanted that cotton, that American cotton. And, you know, there's a whole like you can read all kinds of papers from like that period of the Civil War saying like, oh, this isn't a war of uh, liberation for slavery. This is a war over taxation or, you know, they're trying to like make it about economics and oh but the unionists they're imposing on the free you know on the, the the plantations you know so so yeah imagine if like there was just like you know confederates in the florida keys from the civil war and the uk just like prevented america from ever trying to take over those islands because like oh no but you see because this is american imperialism and all it's like, bruh, like, come on. Or, you know, I heard another example saying, like, if China was, you know, having their fleets around Hawaii and arming Hawaiians to, you know, prevent occupation from the United States, which would be justified, actually, be pretty justified. But, yeah, it's just like, you know, people don't really see that double standard. So, yeah, it, of course, like, there's a very very different, you know, dynamics with the, with the American Civil War and the Chinese Civil War. Uh, but at the very least, it's just that Taiwan historically has always been part of China, although there are indigenous people there, so there is colonialism there that happens. But it's, uh, yeah, man, a lot of people are talking and not really knowing what they're talking about. I mean, yeah, it's just weird. It is really just like, well, I hate China and I hate communists, so I just support Taiwan. And it's just like, that's it, you know. But, uh, yeah. So, Nancy Pelosi paid them a visit. You know, and I, I was following that pretty easily. Although I knew, and people were talking about her getting shot down. I knew that wasn't going to happen. But still, like, it's a pretty serious uh, development that's occurring. Because the last visit from a, a Speaker of the House with, with, was with Newt Gingrich in 1997. So... So it's been some time, and China has changed since that time. So, yeah, they're still uh, doing warship drills, and, you know, people are theorizing whether China will actually invade them, invade Taiwan. So, of course, I'm no military expert. I have read reports on uh, the logistics that would be required to invade Taiwan, and, like, it's easily like the largest naval amphibious invasion in history. So like they're making, you know, movements and they're making, you know, I guess they, they're moving to blockade it. 
They've already made some sanctions. So it's, you know, they're making moves, but like a full-on invasion, I, from my, my opinion, is that they are they have to mobilize. Like, you know, they have like some mobilization, some troops in the area, but like a full mobilization for an invasion of Taiwan would be pretty huge. Like it would require the whole army and the whole navy to commit to this island because, you know, there's a reason that the allies in the U.S., they never invaded Taiwan. They went for Okinawa as like a launching pad for the invasion of Japan because Taiwan's pretty mountainous and they have, uh, from what I've read about uh, certain beachheads that are very isolated, there's very few beachheads and you know the mountainous terrain and such. So it's what they described it as like an unsinkable aircraft carrier. And yeah, and you know, an invasion of Taiwan uh, is just always going to be tough for an invading force. So China, though, they are, you know, pumping those muscles like, hey, look, like, don't fuck around with us. They, uh, an invasion isn't, in, in my opinion, isn't something that they can do right now. But who knows in 20 years time, right? You know, or, you know, again, a diplomatic solution to this is just the best. And listen, man, like this is like Taiwan has to just concede. I mean, this is the Kuomintang, right? This is the Chinese Nationalist Party under Chiang Kai-shek. Military dictatorship. You know, we talk about oh, it's a de- de- democratic system. No, it's they have a deep history with military fascism. So it's not, yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, I'm going to start uh, reading from Reuters. You know, I'll I'll talk more about the Kuomintang in a bit, but uh, this um, this uh, article from Reuters about just warship drills and uh, different military exercises. I mean, they've um, They've launched missiles. They've had aircraft, you know, uh, in Taiwanese airspace. Uh, so, and they they, you know, they have like exclusion zones, telling, you know, doing live fire drills. So, you know, they're yeah, it's just saber rattling, you know. So, as I'm reading from Reuters, so the uh, Chinese and Taiwanese uh, warships played a high seas cat and mouse game on Sunday. Hours before the scheduled end of four days of unprecedented Chinese military exercise, launched in reaction to a visit to Taiwan by U.S. House Speaker. Nancy Pelosi's visit to the self-ruled island infuriated China, which responded with test launch of ballistic missiles over the island's capital for the first time and cutting communication links with the United States. Some 10 warships, each from China and Taiwan, sailed at close quarters in the Taiwan Strait, with some Chinese vessels crossing the median line, an unofficial buffer separating the two sides, according to a person with knowledge on the matter. As Chinese forces pressed the line as they did on Saturday, the Taiwan side stayed close to monitor and, where possible, deny the Chinese the ability to cross. Quote, the two sides are showing restraint, the person said, describing the maneuvers as a high seas cat and mouse. Quote, one side tries to cross, the other side stands in the way and forces them to a more disadvantaged position and eventually returns to the other side. Taiwan said its shore-based anti-ship missiles and its Patriot surface-to-air missiles were on standby. The Chinese exercises centered on six locations around the island began on Thursday and are scheduled to last until midday on Sunday. China's military said on Saturday it was conducting sea and air joint exercises north, southwest, and east of Taiwan with a focus on testing land strike and sea assault capabilities. So, you know, as I've been saying, right, 
I mean, they are going to do these exercises and they are going to posture around Taiwan. And of course, like people are saying, oh, no, they're encircling Taiwan. They're they're going to cut them off, but it's their island, you know, and like, as we said before, this is the Kuomintang, the Chinese nationalists. I mean, these guys were getting uh, arms and assistance from during this Chinese Civil War. They were getting weapons and arms and equipment from the Third Reich. I mean, like, there's a whole photo of, like, the Chinese nationalists with the Stahlhelm. So, like, and I believe Chiang Kai-shek's son, he also, you know, volunteered with the, the Wehrmacht. So, yeah, man, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, let's see what, what else they say. Uh, China halted communications through various channels with the United States as part of its response to Pelosi's visit, including between military theater command and on climate change. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken accused China of taking irresponsible steps and moving away from prioritizing peaceful resolution towards the use of force. So this is quite a bit, but they what they're saying is just, you know, China said, don't do it. And then America's like, oh, but I'm not touching you. Oh, I'm not touching you. Oh, like, it, you know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Even though they technically are, it's like, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> this is just crazy. Like, we keep sticking our nose where it doesn't belong. And, you know, a lot of this also has to do with some uh, insider trading accusations from Pelosi and her family and husband. So, it's like, oh yeah, they're investigating me for insider trading. I guess I'll just uh, start a crisis and get us into a world war. This fucking country, man, it's just so fucking ridiculous. Like, hey man, like... We have record-breaking homelessness. We have record-breaking, you know, medical debt, student loan debt. Uh, We should probably address that. Now, let's start a war. Let's start a war with China, a nuclear power. Let's start World War III. Let's just fucking, yeah, let's just, wow. (laughs) Wow, man. I'm, I'm not fighting for this empire. I'm sorry, man. It's just like, it's ridiculous, man. You just... We're asking for really very basic things, very basic things, and it's no longer about the costs anymore. You know, and I've said I said this before, but it's no longer about the cost because we can't afford it. That's obviously bullshit. Right now, we have like an eight hundred billion dollar defense budget, so it's like we we keep putting more and more money towards starting wars, but we don't want to fix things at home. Like our infrastructure is quite literally rotting away, and we still don't want to fix anything, and. It's like, why do I have to pay for somebody else? Why do I have to pay for your poor health decisions? Or it, now that's where it's getting. It's no longer, we can't afford it. Now it's just, well, I don't want to because I'm selfish. You know, selfishness is a virtue now. I, yeah, you know, it, it's, that's just where we're at, man. That's <laughs> just where we're at. So that's, um, you know, what we're dealing with. But, you know, I wanted to talk because, you know, there's the insider trading with uh, Pelosi and other business dealings that she does with China. Like I said, that China has imposed sanction against Pelosi and her family. So those assets that they've invested are going to be seized. But yeah, you know, what, what folks are saying about Taiwan and uh, trying to portray the, the People's Republic as, you know, oh, this looming threat, this, which I'm not saying that like China doesn't have their own ambitions. They very obviously do, but it's like, is the pot calling the kettle black? Like the United States saying, oh, but you see, because China, 
they're a bad empire and we're a good empire. So, you know, that's why we have to stick our nose where it doesn't belong. Because, you know, we can't let them get away with it. Anyway, uh, so I just wanted to real, read real quick. And I'm just reading from the Wikipedia on the Kuomintang, which is the main party that controls Taiwan, the, the Chinese Nationalist Party. So, you know, for those who don't fully understand it. So uh, just reading real quick. So the Kuomintang is a Chinese political party that ruled mainland China from 1927 to 1949 prior to its relocation to Taiwan as a result of the Chinese Civil War. The name of the party translates as China's National People's Party and was historically referred to as the Chinese Nationalists. The party was initially founded on the 23rd of August 1912 by Sun Yat-sen but dissolved in November 1913. It reformed on October 10, 1919, again led by Sun Yat-sen, and became the ruling party in China. After Sun's death, the party was dominated from 1927 to 1975 by Chiang Kai-shek. After the Kuomintang lost the civil war with the Chinese Communist Party in 1949, the party retreated to Taiwan. It remains a major political party of the Republic of China based in Taiwan. Uh, let's see what else. Because they go into detail. Uh, yeah, so just reading about the Kuomintang, you know, they talk about, you know, Chiang Kai-shek, of course, being a, a major political force, you know, they say from 1927 to 75, so that's, yeah, almost 50 years of his rule, but he was a military dictator, you know, and he, he killed a lot of people. I mean, he kick-started the civil war by purging communists. So, right, so just continuing, right? The leadership, the remaining army, and hundreds of thousands of businessmen and other supporters, two million in all, fled to Taiwan. They continued to operate there as the Republic of China and dreamed of invading and reconquering what they called mainland China. The United States, however, set up a naval cordon after 1950 that has since prevented an invasion in either direction. The Kuomintang regime kept the island under martial law for 38 years, killing up to 30,000 opponents during his dictatorial rule by Chiang Kai-shek and his son, Chiang Ching-kuo. As the original leadership died off, it had to hold elections, allow democracy, with full election of parliament in the early 1990s. The first direct presidential election in 1996, after a defeat by the Democratic Progressive Party in 2000, the Kuomintang returned to power in the elections of 2008 and 2012. So, yeah, quite a bit of history, of course, you know, I kind of just, that's just a brief summary because, of course, the Civil War and also the invasion by the Japanese. And, yeah, that's, there's a whole lot to go through that. And, you know, it, it's like, the you know, you have some folks, I, I don't want to make any names, but there are some really influential people talking about this. And they're very obviously just shit posting, And it's like. They they have they're not you know these are the kind of people who because I should post right but these are the kind of people who don't really see the big picture of how this escalation of conflict doesn't benefit anyone it doesn't like and even I I believe most Ch Taiwanese you know they they don't want this conflict of course they don't want China to invade them they don't want things to escalate. But things are just working fine as they are. Just leave it as is.
But yeah, I mean, after a certain point, like they're going to have to, you know, control control it some way. They're going to have to impose it. You know, the United States is, you know, getting we're we're getting too deep into this. As I said, we have we have too many problems at home to be sticking our nose uh, here in Ukraine, in Africa, and like every, like we have to fix our stuff here, and we're not. And we're just again like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you hear all these reports about, oh no, but China's going to collapse any any minute now, uh, any second now, and they're not. <laughs> and they're doing they're doing just fine. I mean, they have their own issues, sure, but like. Bro, how do you look at what's happening in the United States and then think like, oh, no, China is going to collapse first. Get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, this, um, you know, as we're just uncovering it or as we're covering it, uh, it's something we have to keep a close eye on. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, a big development, a big escalation. As I said, the United States is just like, oh, but I'm not touching you. Oh, but I'm not touching you. Oh, oh. Like, bro, after a certain point, you're going to get pushed. And then how is it? Oh, but he pushed me first. But you're in his face. You're you're like, oh, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> this is so childish, man. And, like, I believe that they're making plans, this uh, strike group. This carrier strike group is making plans to actually like sail through the Strait of Taiwan, which is such a huge provocation, man. That's huge. Like, how does how is that acceptable? Like, dude, as I said, you know, with the analogy uh, between like uh, with the Florida Keys and you know Confederates there. Like, imagine if like China or Russia just like had a whole fleet, you know, and like you know, not uh, I'm gonna extend this like say that they wanted to uh protect cuba because they believe that cuba is going to be invaded like if they sailed a whole carrier strike group through that you know channel that whole strait between cuba and florida that would be a huge provocation that's like quite literally what happened with the cuba crisis the missile crisis so like again like we don't see it's like imperialism is bad but we are the good guys and we're the only ones who can do imperialism but they can't, even though when it's like, it's imperialism, quote, imperialism on their own land and their own people. But hey, you know, I'm probably not going to get too many people on that. But, you know, at this point, it's like, I don't support the U.S. position at all. Like, I don't. And we're making things worse. We're very obviously the aggressors. You know, this whole talk about democracy, it's hogwash. It's bullshit. Okay. Anybody who seriously still believes this is so naive. It's childish. Like, I don't have time to discuss this, man. It's so, again, everything that I discuss is, like, not really that hard to look up. It's just, you know, most people, they prefer to know what's going on with some celebrity or sports. Which, again, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. But, like, if I'm informed about this and talking about it, don't get weird with me. Because it's just, like, this is so obvious, man. So, anyway. So, that's, you know, the whole China-Taiwan situation. And we have to see how that unfolds. But, you know, that's just another piece of the puzzle of this global crisis. And again, you know, it's like when you look up the Great War, World War One, World War Two, the lead up to that, like 
there was all these little tiny conflicts before it, and then it grew into a, a larger world war. So, who knows? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, if we get nuked, that's just the end of that, but a conventional war, that is uh, going to be a slow death that's going to be prolonged and that's again you know I'm 26 now so I I'm technically not in the selective services but I read that it goes until like uh, under emergency circumstances like until your 30s but like bro I'm not I'm, I'm not fighting for this empire it's not happening I'm not I'm not gonna go abroad I'm not gonna go to the Pacific and get my leg blown off and then when I get back here in America end up like one of these homeless veterans that like they got a missing arm or leg and it's like oh well yeah because clearly this guy's a freeloader right this guy is you know <laughs> it's ridiculous man it's just yeah whatever um so anyway so with the china situation i want to talk about some other conflicts that are uh you know boiling up again of course with israel and the gaza strip Another uh, round of violence, the worst since uh, the last uh, last year, May, which I covered, you know, then too. So, and that was a pretty serious one. That was a pretty serious conflict. Um, and also, like, there was, like, literal pogroms against Palestinians and Arabs in Israel. Like, it was a serious, serious round of violence. And still, people defend Israel. Like, that was, that was shameful, man. That was like a literal crystal knock that we just saw against Arabs and Palestinians and like it's still just like yeah no Israel is clearly the good guy it's just crazy so right so I'm reading from Al Jazeera and they're talking about uh, this conflict and uh, certain casualties that have happened uh, you know with at least six Palestinian children so right now as of uh, I'm just reading from 12 again I'm recording late so this is 12 a.m. August 7th and yeah this is um you know they're talking about children dying at least 24 so far killed a couple maybe a couple hundred more wounded and still currently they're getting bombed and uh, yeah it's um and I believe today also they're going to have some sort of uh invasion or some sort of incursion of these extremists these orthodox extremists in the Al-Aqsa Mosque or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem again man it's just like and of course you're going to see videos again of soldiers and policemen just running in there bashing windows out like like some person was saying like those those windows that they're bashing out are older than the state of Israel like that's that's how fucking young this country is and still um you know, like, there's so many videos, like, they literally, the people are just praying, and the cops just walk in, and they start throwing flashbang grenades. And, but this is the country that we gotta support, and then they also uh, killed Shireen Abu Akli. Like, that was a clear-cut murder, and that's under the rug, too. Like, again, man, if, like, and still, today, if you are vocally against Israel, you're an anti-Semite. <laughs> still, after everything, that after all this... Yeah, because clearly Israel is the victim here, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it's like you don't see that many, you know, when Ukraine gets invaded, you see the flags everywhere. Oh, Ukraine, Ukraine. But then this, oh, well, these 
Palestinians, they just need to, you know, they just need to accept their lot. You know, they've been conquered, and uh, yeah, they just gotta fucking stop. <laughs> that's just it. That's literally it. That's what they do. Cry about it. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. But anyway, so many of them Al Jazeera talking about this uh, round of violence. So, what their words? Uh, Israeli jets pounded the Gaza Strip for a second day on Saturday, killing at least 24 people, including six Palestinian children. Hamas, the group that governs the Palestinian enclave, said children were among the dead from a blast close to Jabalia refugee camp and blamed Israel. The Israeli military, however, denied it was responsible, saying the explosion was caused by a failed rocket launch by the Palestinian armed group Islamic Jihad. So there's Hamas, which is the main governing body of the Gaza Strip, and then there's another uh, splinter group called uh, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. So I'll, I'll talk about them in a second. But anyway, uh, so right, the health ministry in Gaza said at least 203 people have also been wounded during the two days of fighting. The clashes, which shattered more than a year of relative calm around Gaza, began on Friday with Israel's targeted killing of a senior commander of Islamic Jihad. Israeli missiles have since destroyed homes, apartment buildings, and hit a refugee camp, and the military has warned that its campaign against Islamic Jihad could last a week. Among those killed in the Israeli raids are Um Walid, a 73-year-old, uh, she died in an attack on a car in the Beit Hanun refugee camp. Palestinian fighters have responded to the Israeli attacks by launching more than 400 rockets at Israel, but most of them have been intercepted. There have been no reports of serious casualties, according to the Israeli Ambulance Service. Around 2.3 million Palestinians are packed into a narrow coastal Gaza Strip, with Israel and Egypt tightly restricting movement of people and goods in and out of the enclave and imposing a naval blockade, citing security concerns. Israel stopped the planned transport of fuel into Gaza shortly before it launched its attacks on Friday, crippling the territory's lone power plant and reducing electricity to around four hours per day and drawing warnings from health officials that hospitals will be severely impacted within days. Quote, the Israelis are attacking civilians, they're attacking premises, residential areas. Nobody knows what will happen in the coming hours, said Dr. Medhad Abbas, director of the Gaza Ministry of Health. Quote, this is an appeal to extend a helping hand to the Ministry of Health in Gaza Strip right now. There's a shortage of electricity. It's been declared now that it will only be four hours a day. This means we will rely in the hospitals on generators. Generators consume half a million liters every month. We do not have this fuel right now. Egypt's President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi said Cairo is talking around the clock with both sides to ease the violence. An Egyptian intelligence delegation headed by Major General Ahmed Abdel Khalik arrived in Israel on Saturday and would be traveling to Gaza for mediation talks. Two Egyptian security sources told Reuters news agencies uh, they hope they were hoping to secure a day's ceasefire in order to carry out the talks, the sources added. Quote, Intensive efforts have been made this evening, and the movement listened to the mediation or the movement listened to the mediators. But these efforts haven't reached an agreement yet. Uh, an Islamic Jihad official told Reuters late on Saturday. The Israel-Gaza frontier has been largely quiet since May 2021, when 11 days of fierce fighting led to at least 250 in the enclave and 13 in Israel dead. So, yeah. And then they also talk about a teenager that had died previously. So there are some certain commanders in the Islamic Jihad that were uh, killed 
but yeah, they also uh, killed uh, some teenager. So it's always like things escalating from that. But yeah, man, this conflict is just, it's oh, again, every single time it's Israel killing somebody. Then people have, the people are mourning about it, protesting about it. And the snipers keep shooting them. And then what a surprise. Now they're going to start launching rockets at us. And then Israel has to cry. Oh, but they keep launching rockets at us. Oh, oh we can't colonize their land anymore. It's just ridiculous, man. And I talked about in, um, when, I, when I was covering the last uh, round of violence, um, I uh, got in touch with this Israeli friend that I had, just a childhood friend, and just to get her opinion on it. And I didn't even know at the time. I thought she, you know, she was like a lawyer or something. But like through talking with her, she said, oh, no, I'm with the Department of Defense. I'm like, huh? So you're a Mossad agent. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I don't. Anyway, this that's just just a little anecdote there. But yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, it just speaks to like, you know, you, you can know somebody and... You know, you're, you're getting along fine, but then, you know, you realize, oh, wait, they're fighting for, like, a colonial project. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, it's like a point where it's like, I have to put my foot down on this. But, yeah, so I was talking about uh, this uh, Temple Mount incursion that's going to happen possibly today. So... Yeah, some Jewish extremists, they plan on uh, going into the Temple Mount, Alaska Mosque, and uh, causing some trouble. So, but of course, you know, they're, you know, practicing their faith, right? They're, oh, no, but you see, because they're just practicing their faith, and they're just, and meanwhile, like, they're literally having, like, all kinds of slogans, like, death to Arabs. Like, if you ask them, well, do you think Israelis and uh, Palestinians should get married? No, like, they didn't. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's again, you know, like for religion is a hell of a drug. I know, you know, it comes across as being like a cringy atheist, you know, Reddit atheist, but like, bro, like, how the fuck do you see this and be like, yes, this is positive development for human, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, so I'm reading from Jerusalem Post just about this planned uh, demonstration from Jewish extremists in Jerusalem just you know trying to you know, this is going to cause more trouble man there's going to be more clashes because of course the Muslims are going to mobilize and defend their temple it's just ridiculous man again man it's just like you, you talk about like hey you know you guys can just live in peace and like not fight each other oh but you don't you don't know you're just sticking your nose where it doesn't belong it's like hey you know or maybe just don't be a racist don't be a you know extremist just live in peace it's fucking crazy, but yeah, so reading from Jerusalem Post, the ascension of Jewish worshippers to the Temple Mount as part of Tisha B'Av prayers began on Sunday despite security concerns. The Temple Mount administration is expecting a record number of Jewish worshippers. After thousands of worshippers filled the Western Wall Plaza throughout the night under the security of Jerusalem police, this morning's morning prayer has already begun. The police conducted a situation assessment on Sunday morning headed by Police Chief Yaakov Shabtai 
and were preparing for the start of the ascension to the Temple Mount, stating that the police intend to prevent provocations and ensure that there are no clashes between Arab and Jewish worshippers on the Temple Mount, according to a police statement, which is obviously bullshit. They're just going to harass all the Arabs. This is what they do every time. Like, there's, like, this whole videos of, like, cops just, like, kicking kids and, like, women. Like, they're just, like, these guys are fucking bullies, man. So, right. And this is happening right now. You know, like, this is something that's going to happen. Like, I should, I can probably see on uh, Twitter if they're actually doing anything right now. But, yeah. Like, it's crazy. So, anyway. Um, so, on Saturday night, Prime Minister Yair Lapid held a special assessment on the situation against the backdrop of Operation Breaking Dawn, in which he decided not to cancel the Jewish ascent to the Temple Mount due to fighting against the Islamic Jihad. It was also decided, for the time being, to allow Adzma Yehudit head M.K. Itamir Ben-Gavir, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, to join worshippers. Ben-Gavir is said to reach the Temple Mount at around 8.30. A response to Gavir's uh, or Ben Gavir's announcement, he received murder threats on his cell phone and Facebook. We will cut off your head, the threats read. Quote, the threats will not scare me and I will not submit to them. The police should catch the perpetrators and arrest them immediately. This morning I will go to the Temple Mount and remind everyone that we are the owners of the holiest place for the people of Israel. Huh, yeah, so great language there. Right. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we... Quote, we cannot give in to the jihadi terror. We are the rightful owners of the state of Israel. As long as we act like it, our enemies will get the message. So it's just clear Zionist, like, like colonialism, like just, this is ours. We won. <laughs> Cry about it. <laughs> it's crazy. And then you're reading from uh, comments from Hamas. Hamas stated about the Israeli plans to storm the Alaska Mas that it, quote, rejects the Israeli Occupation's permission to for extremist Zionists to storm the Alaska Mosque tomorrow. We hold the Israeli occupation fully responsible for the repercussions of this violation committed amid the Israeli aggression against the Gaza Strip. The terror group also called on Palestinians and Muslims worldwide to defend the Alaska Mosque and face Israeli violations at the Holy Compound. Right. So, yeah, that's just something we got to follow up on. Let me actually look up and see if there's any footage on this, because it's like they're 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 doing this right now. So let me see real quick, Alaska. Who knows? They're they're gonna try to do something. So that footage is gonna come out eventually. But yeah, that's uh, what they're doing. And of course, as as he said, we are the rightful owners of Israel. So. Cry about it, cope and see. That's that's the whole attitude of it. The same way like a lot of white folks have in the U.S. Well, we came to this land and we conquered it. So, cry about it. <laughs> that's literally what they do. It's just crazy. So, that's just some, you know, comments and certain actions taken by, uh, you know, both sides. Hamas and the IDF, Israel. Uh, but... As I said, they're talking about this other group, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is purely just a militant wing. Because Hamas is they're they're a government. They you know they have services. They have, as I said, they have like a health ministry. They have, you know, they they take care of the people. However, this Palestinian Islamic Jihad 
is just a military or militant group that is armed by Iran. They do receive funding from an arming from Iran. So, yeah, it's um, what I think is more just like Hamas is trying to take the more moderate position now where, you know, they're willing to make compromises with Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is straight up just like, nope, we are taking the fight to Israel. So, like, yeah, you know, uh, that's just what they're doing. So I'm reading again from Al Jazeera, and, you know, they're talking about how this group was founded in 1981 with the aim of establishing a Palestinian state in the occupied West Bank, Gaza, and other areas of what is now Israel. Israel had, Israel has repeatedly launched air raids on the Gaza Strip, killing at least 15, including a commander of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad movement who was targeted on Friday. So this is a bit earlier, but yeah. So after bombing Gaza, Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid described the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or the PIJ, as, quote, an Iranian proxy that wants to destroy the state of Israel. While it does not have the long-range rockets as Hamas, the group that governs Gaza, PIJ does have a significant arsenal of small arms, mortars, rockets, and anti-tank missiles, and an active armed wing called the Al-Quds Brigades. Quote, the Islamic Jihad is known to oppose the peace process and the negotiations approach with Israel. It adopts an armed struggle against the Israeli occupation like Hamas. The Islamic Jihad is a very close ally with Iran. Because of the links to Iran, we are seeing one of the causes of Israel's attacks. Ibrahim Fahat from the Doha Institute told Al Jazeera. So as I said, you know, they're a militant wing. They're hard, more, they, I believe they're more hardlined, and they don't want to make negotiations or any kind of compromises. They just want to take. They just want to fight. And as I said, they were founded in 1991. Uh, by Palestinian students in Egypt with the aim of establishing a Palestinian state in the occupied West Bank, Gaza, and Israel. Islamic Jihad is the smaller of the two main Palestinian groups in the Gaza Strip and is vastly outnumbered by the governing Hamas group. Though it is a small group, Islamic Jihad is very efficient and highly organized. There is a strong order with, within the party itself, said Fahad. Despite its small size, it has participated in all the confrontations with Israel. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're a guerrilla group, you know, and Hamas is a governing body. They're, they're, basic, they're basically like, you know, Gaza is not officially a country, but you know, they have services, they have a military, they have, you know, so they operate as a country. And Hamas is the governing body, but, you know, so they, they kind of have to negotiate and make compromises because you know, they need peace to govern, right? But the PIJ... They're just, you know, small militant group that can, you know, do little attacks here and there and, you know, just uh, see, melt away. You know, just again, there's security in smaller numbers. And as they said, they have more uh, control over the party. So, again, this is uh, they, they, yeah, they say they have about uh, a thousand fighters. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a small group. But again, you know. They can make small precision strikes and take the fight wherever they can and then just melt away. And of course, though, Israel is like they have a sledgehammer. So it's like you get bit by a mouse and then you have a sledgehammer just like bashing the whole place and then everybody gets hurt. 
But of course, oh, but you see, because these, these guys, they made me do it. Yeah. So, right, uh, the, you know, talking about this commander that got killed, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad has become the driving force in confrontations with Israeli forces. Friday's air raids killed Taisir al-Jabari, a senior figure and the commander of the movement's northern region. PIJ's membership is difficult to ascertain with estimates from last year ranging from about 1,000 fighters to several thousand, according to the CIA's World Factbook. Both Hamas, which has fought five wars with Israel since 2009, and the PIJ are, are listed as terrorist organizations by the West. Both get funds and weapons from Iran, where PIJ leader Zayad al-Nakala met Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi on the day of the attacks. Unlike Hamas, PIJ refuses to join elections and appears to have no ambition to form a government in Gaza or the West Bank. So yeah, again, they're just purely a militant group. But yeah, they're taking the fight and, you know, they're just, yeah, they're, you know, again, Israel is dropping bombs again and they're just saying like, oh, look what you made me do. I mean, you're, you're forcing my hand. There's that, with the, the Gaza conflict flaring up again. As I said, uh, they're having a whole demonstration with, with Al-Aska, so that's certainly going to inflame tensions and yeah, this is just the beginning, you know, and this is just another round of violence and more people getting hurt, children getting hurt, you know, and of course, like, you're not going to see anybody, you know, changing their profile picture to a Gaza uh, photo, right? Like, I'm like, I, I yeah, again, I, I talk about this sort of stuff and it's just, you know, with the normies, they don't, they don't pay attention to this. But then a Ukraine war, oh my God, this is such a tragedy. Oh, what? yeah man i'm very like yeah i it's just like i don't even know why i say the stuff that i do online because at least with my personal circle because again these people are just like oh yeah okay and but it just doesn't click it's just like like literal npcs (laughs) so yeah so that's gaza and i was also talking about the china taiwan situation so before i wrap up this uh international segment i'm going to talk about uh, the Ukraine war, certain recent developments, and you know, recently now, um, I've had a more balanced view of the conflict because, of course, initially I was in Ukraine's camp. I don't want this invasion to happen. I don't think it's a good thing for uh, Russia to invade and occupy the whole of Ukraine. Uh, however, now we're starting to come to light because you know. I've been following this conflict since the revolution in 2014, and I thought I was pretty informed about it, but I wasn't nearly as informed as I thought it was, especially considering like Euromaidan, Azov, also the history of Ukraine, Ukraine nationalists in World War II, like that was not something that I fully understood. And so as this war broke out, I researched on that. So I've had a more uh, balanced perspective. So, uh, you know, when I when I say pro-Ukrainian things, uh, it's mainly the people, the people who are in the crossfire. They, I don't want them to be uh, caught in this war. This is not going to turn out well for them. Uh, but this does not mean that I support the government. Uh, yeah, especially this uh, post-Soviet government. Ukraine has been notorious for corruption in you know, it's like one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. And now what we're doing 
And we're sending them money. We're sending them weapons and arms. And yeah, they're they're showing that like at least so I'm reading from CBS. They're saying at least 30% of it is reaching its final destination. So what's happening? It's very clear that we're sending weapons and arms to Ukraine, and you have government officials siphoning off money, embezzling money, uh, or you know selling those weapons to black market weapons dealers and yeah man like this is you know it's a scheme and this is the way it is with every war it was the same with afghanistan the like basically wherever we send weapons and arms to a country there's government officials embezzling and siphoning money away and yeah man and it's like the what's the end goal here like do you like because the the whole point of this war is really to for Ukraine, from their perspective, they want to take back Crimea and they want to take back uh, they want to take back the Donbas, Donetsk, and Luhansk. So, yeah, it's like they're taking this hardline position of well, we're going to take back our land, which is not going to happen because the, the Soviet or almost the Soviets, uh, the Russians, have control of those territories and like. There's just no way that Ukrainians can launch an offensive against that. They, they, they really can't. They, they, they just can't. And I'm reading also uh, there are certain like uh, units that are just straight up refusing orders. As, I, as I've been saying, right, they're, the weapons that are being shipped in, they're only getting a third of it. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, in C CBS, they're going to uh, launch a documentary actually later tonight or later today. So uh, about this, you know, this uh, black market stuff. But again, it's uh, it's a scheme. It's a scam. You know, we can't we can't get health care. We can't cancel student loan debt. But how, how many billions of dollars have we dropped on Ukraine? Just a blank check. Just all right here. And Ukraine cannot win without Western support, without Western weapons and material, without Western volunteers. And of course, like if you just say here, like, hey, we should, like, we should go to the table, make a negotiation, because we are, uh, like, really like speeding towards a nuclear war. Like again, these the the Chinese and the Russians, they keep saying, like, dude, like, don't 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 push us, because nobody's gonna win. Like, and we're just like, oh, but I'm not touching you. I'm not touching. Like, it's just ridiculous what we're doing. So right. So reading from CBS, so in a war fought largely in World War II era trenches with Soviet ammunition, the vast influx of modern NATO weapons and military supplies from the West into Ukraine has proven to be among the largest determinants of whether territories lost or gained along Ukraine's battled border region with Russia. The bulk of these weapons and military supplies make their way to the border of Poland, where U.S. and NATO allies quickly ferried across the border and into hands of Ukrainian officials. That's where U.S. oversight ends. Quote, all of this stuff goes across the border and then something happens, kind of like 30% of it reaches its final destination, said Jonas Ullman, founder and CEO of Blue Yellow, a Lithuanian-based organization that has been meeting with and supplying frontline units with military aid in Ukraine since the start of the conflict with Russia-backed separatists in 2014. 30-40%, to 40%, that's my estimate, he said in April of this year. 
the United States has committed over $23 billion in military aid to Ukraine since the start of the war at the end of February. Okay? So, like, this is, like, $23 billion since February. Just, just that. We just do it. And this is, like, this is something that's bipartisan. <laughs> this is ridiculous, man. This is fucking ridiculous. I just... It just blows my mind. And then, of course, you're the bad guy for saying, hey, we need to fix problems at home, not sending money and weapons to a, an, un, an unwinnable war. The Ukrainians cannot win. The only way they can win is like a literal NATO invasion. That's <laughs> Or intervention, I mean. And that's World War Three, dude. D- bro, like, again, these liberals are playing fire. I mean, of course, like, the neocons and the conservatives, like, okay, I get it, because they love war. But... These liberals, these Democrats, they pretend that they're anti-war, but they're not, okay? Like, stuff like this, they're like, oh, but you see, it's a glory, like, yeah, it's just, okay, whatever. So, $23 billion from the United States since the end of April, or since the end of February. They've also, you know, they also uh, tallied support from the United Kingdom, which is $3.7 billion, Germany, $1.4 billion, and Poland, $1.8 billion. <laughs> And, like, Germany has, like, their the largest defense budget since World War II. Like, they have their whole budget. Like, all these Europe, European countries now are upping up their defense budget. This is crazy, man. It's crazy, crazy. What's, hap- what's happening? A combination of Ukraine's constantly shifting front lines with its largely volunteer and paramilitary forces has made delivery of the military aid difficult for those attempting to navigate the dangerous supply lines to their destination. Some have raised concerns about whether... Weapons falling into Ukraine's black market, which has thrived on corruption since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Omen relies largely on unofficial channels to deliver his supplies, which can include anything from night vision scopes and radios to Kevlar vests. Ballistic helmets and modern drones have been proven to be essential eyes in the sky for breaking through stalemates on the battlefield. His group's status as an NGO does not permit him to deliver lethal weapons. Quote, there are like power lords, oligarchs, and power players, Omen said, describing the corruption and bureaucracy he has to work around. The system itself, it's like, we are the armed forces of Ukraine. If security forces want it, well, the Americans gave it to us. It's kind of like power games all day long. So eventually people need the stuff and they go to us. Andy Milburn is a retired U.S. Marine colonel who served in Iraq and Somalia, recently found the Mozart Group a company dedicated to training frontline Ukrainian soldiers. He traveled to Ukraine after the Russian invasion and set up a base in the capital, Kiev. Quote, If you provide supplies or a logistic pipeline, there has got to be some organization to it, right? If the ability to which you're willing to be involved in that stops at the Ukrainian border, the surprise isn't that, oh, all the stuff isn't getting to where it needs to go. The surprise is that people are actually expected it to, said Milburn. Quote, if United States policy is to support Ukraine in the defense of its country against the Russian Federation, you can't go halfway with that. You can't create artificial lines. I understand that means U.S. troops are not fighting Russians. I understand even U.S. troops are not crossing the border. But why not at least put people in place to supervise the country? They can be civilians to ensure that the right things are happening, he said. In July, Ambassador Bonnie Denise Jenkins, Undersecretary for Arms Controls, and the International Security 
at the U.S. State Department said, quote, the potential for illicit diversions of weapons is among a host of political, military, and human rights considerations. But she added, quote, we are confident in the Ukrainian government's commitment to appropriately to appropriately safeguard and account for the U.S. origin defense equipment. So, right. So, I mean, again, this is like very clear-cut, yeah, as they're saying, corruption and uh, embezzling of funds, you know, working, trading with the black market. I mean, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was, yeah, a very corrupt place. Very corrupt. <laughs> so... Again, like that legacy is very much going to continue. I mean, yeah. You know, this is not me saying that Russia is justified in what they're doing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're sticking our nose where it doesn't belong. And NATO has encroached on their borders. It's like, I mean, we got like um, NATO bringing in Finland and Sweden, who have historically been neutral. So it's just, you know, the... Yeah, the lines are being drawn in the sand, and who knows what things are going to fall. But yeah, man, you know, but they're talking at least with this, you know, uh, black market stuff, moving weapons. That's a whole thing with this whole report that's going to come out later tonight. You know, we're going to have to see what that unfolds. But yeah, man, like, I mean, it's good at least that CBS is uncovering this because it's like at least like the first like major like criticism of the war from a media outlet because like they have not made any mention at all about like these Azov soldiers these far-right nationalists like literal nazi ties in world war ii like they don't cover that at all so this might be the first step towards a more nuanced perspective on what's happening as they said we have dropped 23 billion dollars 23 billion dollars man this is ridiculous what the fuck, man? And of course, nobody can. Nobody's concerned. Nobody's concerned about the costs when it comes to a twenty-year war in Afghanistan, trillions of dollars down the drain, right? Nobody's concerned about the costs, like twenty-three billion. Like, you don't, you don't hear anybody talking about that. But of course, oh no, but we can't get healthcare. We can't the infrastructure. Like they, these assholes. I mean, luckily they they passed it. They they we did a revolt on it. But these these assholes, they denied healthcare coverage to veterans uh, who worked around burn pits on these toxic chemicals and fumes. They denied it, and because of the outrage and lobbying from John Stewart, you know, representing the USO and these veterans, they they passed it. Like these guys, like this is so ridiculous. This is like a circus of a country we have. Like these, these these conservatives were literally fist bumping each other after the vote denying the coverage. Like these people are evil, okay? These people are evil. It's ridiculous, man. And then they go to these rallies talking about the troops. Oh no, but you gotta support the troops. Uh, oh, but yeah, man, this is ridiculous, man. I just, I, as I said, like I'm not fighting for this empire. I'm not. Like, this is ridiculous, man. We do everything possible to get ourselves involved in these these conflicts that we have nothing to do with. Like, this whole Ukraine crisis wouldn't have happened if the U.S. didn't get it involved in sticking our nose in the region. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have happened. I mean, because why, why is it happening now? 
hmm, maybe because we're meddling in their affairs, maybe because we're encircling, and uh, you know, we got the Baltic states under NATO control, and you know, and yeah, Ukraine is like the last, like, especially since it's like the Black Sea. Yeah, there's just so much. There's so much, but yeah, man, just continuing, right? So I'm reading from the Financial Times, also talking about uh, weapon smuggling and their uh, opinions on this. So NATO and EU states are pushing for better tracking of weapons supplied to Ukraine in response to fears that criminal groups are smuggling them out of the country and onto Europe's black market. Since Russia launched its war against Ukraine, Western states have pledged more than $10 billion in military support from portable rocket launchers and armored vehicles to rifles and vast amounts of ammunitions. A number of NATO member states are discussing with Kiev some form of tracking system or a detailed inventory list for weapons supplied to Ukraine. Two Western officials briefed on the talks told the Financial Times. Ukraine's government is setting up more extensive weapons monitoring and tracing system with the help of Western countries, a third person familiar with the situation said. Quote, All these weapons land in southern Poland, get shipped to the border, and then are just divided up into vehicles to cross. Trucks, vans, sometimes private cars, uh, said one of the Western officials. And from that moment, we go blank on their location and we have no idea where they go, or where they're used, or even if they stay in the country. The potential for U.S. weapons sent to Ukraine to fall into the wrong hands is among a host of considerations, given the challenging situation on the ground, said Bonnie Denise Jenkins, Right, uh, she's, yeah, I quoted her earlier. Uh, the U.S. very seriously takes our responsibility to protect American origin uh, defense technologies and prevent their diversion or the illicit proliferation. Jenkins told reporters in Brussels, adding the U.S. was in continued contact with Kiev on the issue. And we are confident in the Ukrainian government, you know, commitment to appropriately uh, safeguard and account for U.S. weapons, Jenkins said. Uh, Yuri Sak, a, an advisor to Ukraine's defense minister said, quote, any movement of weaponry either into Ukraine or out of Ukraine when such movement is required for repairs when necessary is very closely monitored and supervised by both Ukraine and other international partners. The issue of arms trafficking from Ukraine was discussed at a meeting of EU interior ministers this week, while on Monday the European Commission launched an EU support hub in neighboring Moldova to provide expertise and cooperation to combat issues such as weapon smuggling. Quote, it's hard to avoid trafficking or smuggling. We didn't achieve it in former Yugoslavia and probably won't avoid it in Ukraine. Uh, Jana Chernokova said, uh, the Czech defense minister told reporters in Prague on Friday. She said she trusted the donor countries who were taking all necessary steps to track weaponry, but warned that it would not be possible to follow every item. Europol, the EU's law enforcement agency, said in April that its investigation indicated that weapons trafficking from Ukraine into the bloc to supply organized crime groups has begun. It was a potential threat to EU security. Quote, the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine has resulted in the proliferation of a significant number of firearms and explosives in the country, Europol said in a briefing note sent to governments. Quote, initially, Ukrainian officials maintained registers of firearms handed out to civilians, but this practice was abandoned as the war progressed and firearms have been distributed without records since then. It said, calling for a, quote, a register for 
weapons, and other military materials transferred from the EU to the Ukraine. Two, help law enforcement agencies track them. Quote, information that Ukraine is becoming a major hub for arms smuggling does not correspond to reality, said Sok, suggesting that those claiming such, quote, could be a part of Russia's information war to discourage international partners from providing Ukraine with weaponry that is necessary for our victory. So, you know, that's what's happening there. Of course, they're saying anybody who's talking about this, oh, they're... They must be on Russia's side because we're not doing anything wrong. You know, it's um, it's a situation. You know, it's something that we got to follow up on. And as I said, we're we're getting deeply involved in this war, and it's yeah. I mean, Ukraine can't win without our support, and the more support that we put in, the more weapons we send, the more aid. Like, how is, like, this is very clearly, like, uh, this is like an open, broad daylight money laundering scheme. It really is. These defense contractors, they, the the, the contractors, the weapons manufacturers, they love this war. This is like, this is a fucking, like, they see see dollar bills everywhere. Oh, man, yes. The biggest European conflict since World War II. Yeah. All right. Fuck yeah. Let's fucking make some money. Like that's that's what that's the way they see it. And uh, you know, and oh, just somehow miraculously, it's getting into the black market. Wow. We could have never seen this coming. Yeah, man. It's gonna be ridiculous. And who knows where those weapons are gonna end up? Yeah. It's just. Yeah, man. So. Yeah, so it's really uh, something that we have to follow up on, and <clears throat> that CBS report uh, will come out, and that will be pretty enlightening. You know, it's like probably one of the first like mainstream news agencies having a critical report investigation against Ukraine, and even then, they're probably going to get a lot of criticism and backlash. Oh, what you support Russia now? It's like, hey, you know, they're they're smuggling weapons and. You know, we don't know where these weapons are going. Well, I guess you support Russia. This uh, <laughs> is so ridiculous. So, right. You know, so you know, as we're talking about China and Russia and uh, possibilities for future conflict, it's just, you know, the, the U.S. right now, we're, we're losing our position as like the sole imperial force. So that's really what this is about. This is an imperialist conflict that's going to happen. And... You know, it's so crazy how Americans are so arrogant and we have no sense of history at all. No sense of history. Because the Russians and the Chinese, they're not worried about us. They're really not. They're not scared of us at all, okay? The Russians have fought Hitler. They fought Napoleon. They fought the Mongols. They fought the Swedes and the Polish and the Lithuanians. And they won all those conflicts. They won. Well, not the Mongols, but you know that was more of a process. But you know, again, they they fought all of these powers, like conflicts, apocalyptic conflicts, where millions of people died. Okay, that's a part of their history that they're very much tapping into right now, and that's with Russia and China. They've also fought the Mongols. They've fought other invasions from nomadic tribes. They've had wars against themselves were like 
you know, during like during the medieval period in Europe, like the the, the, conf- the scale of conflicts in China like are just astronomical, thousands, almost a million men on the battlefield, millions of people dying, right? Like it's ridiculous, and they go through these cycles. Uh, China, they they go through a cycle of rise, the you know, golden age dynasty, and then a collapse, warlord period, millions of people dying, and like, dude, that's a part of their history, man. They've been through it thousands of years for Russia or for for uh, for China, Russia. You know the, the Slavic, you know civilizations. They've they've been through it as well. Like they have that history and culture, and they can tap into that, and they can say, "Wait, we've been through worse, so we're not afraid of America." They're not. It's ridiculous, you know. And of course, we're talking about nuclear weapons, so you know that would just be, you know, that that would just be the end of the world. But yeah, man, you know, it's just. You know, we we have this attitude of we're number one and we're the best and we're, uh, we're, again, like we came to this country, or I should say not we, white people came to this country, they colonized this land, they, they killed off the natives, they, they enslaved and kidnapped Africans, brought them to this country, they bulldozed this pristine land, they, they built Walmart parking lots and uh, Disney attractions, whatever, just, just complete. They just ruined this. They, they ruined this land, and then we want. Then they want to have this attitude. Oh, we're number one and we're the best. And it's like, and of course, if you make any kind of pro-China comments or not even, not even necessarily pro-China, just like a more balanced perspective. Like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't make comments. Like, you know, trying to be more realistic about what China's you know plans and ambitions are. Well, I guess you want China to come here and colonize us? And, like, that's literally what white folks are afraid of. They're afraid of what they did to other people happening to them. And they they genuinely believe that China is going to colonize us and they're going to replace white folks. Which is hilarious. Bro, the Chinese do not want to touch this land. Like, you people, you white folks destroyed this land. They Like, the Chinese do not want to touch this country. They don't. Like this is only this is like the they they the way that the Chinese view America is like okay we'll we'll dangle some like fruit or something and we'll like yeah it's like it's trade it's business but you know they might send their kids here to get an education but like those kids they come running back to China because like the, the, yeah this place is just beyond repair it really is this place is beyond repair <laughs> so you know. China, if they had wanted to, they could have very easily colonized Alaska, parts of uh, California. Like, you know, they had treasure fleets in Africa, bro. Like, if they really wanted to colonize this country, they would have done it hundreds of years before the Spanish, before the, the British. If they really set their mind to it, but they didn't because they had everything that they needed. Like, why am I going to go across into some uncharted territory when I could just stay here and we already got like almost a billion people like yeah anyway I'm getting ahead of myself it's just crazy you know yeah <laughs> this conflict and again Nancy Pelosi just poking the dragon and now we're you know Taiwan's about to get you know 
uh, blockaded probably who knows if they will get invaded as i said though like uh, a naval invasion of taiwan would be a huge undertaking it would be the largest naval invasion in history so it, it would you know the mobilization that we're seeing is purely military exercises like uh, a, a full-scale mobilization actual invasion uh would not be something that they like it'd be pretty obvious you know yeah so anyway so that's the international segment and where i'm going to continue on with the domestic segment just talking about our uh, situation in the u.s things are you know they're not looking good well i mean we, we've had some uh, economic developments and we had some uh, shrinking in the economy and uh, that's just something that we got to follow up on that we're having to live with you know this inflation uh, wage stagnation uh, wealth accumulation all these different problems and uh, yeah man it's just like you know they keep bringing out these reports like almost two-thirds of Americans they're struggling living paycheck to paycheck I mean I bet you like there's not one single person that you or I don't know who's struggling with some sort of finances I mean yeah man it's ridiculous and then the option and your solution is just to work oh just get a better job just oh you're, you're complaining about drowning in debt just get a better job dude just stop being the bitch just stop whining <laughs> yeah hey you're you're drowning in in debt that's your fault you know but yeah anyway but you know we're, we're just following some economic developments and they're you know making these quarterly reports and what they've stated is that the u.s economy has shrunk for a second consecutive quarter which is or it was the official sign of a recession and like some folks were talking about uh, wikipedia articles in the in on recessions and it got edited so it just you know there's no it's like oh well you know there's many definitions for what a recession means and not two quarters consecutively uh, declining so I, I like i've been saying this for a while we we are in a recession we're very very likely going to experience a depression especially with uh certain uh diseases that are popping up again uh covid is still raging and now we got monkeypox and polio <laughs> there's reports of polio in new york isn't that lovely but i'll, I'll talk about that later but yeah, man, we're very, very much on thin legs here, man. We really are. So, reading from CNN. The U.S. economy shrank again in the second quarter. The Bureau of Economic Analysis said on Thursday, Gross domestic product, a wide-ranging measure of economic activity, fell by 0.9% on an annualized basis from April through June. That decline marks a key symbolic threshold for the most commonly used, albeit unofficial, definition of a recession as two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. The hotly anticipated data released has taken on outsized significance as investors, policymakers, and ordinary Americans seek more measures of clarity in the current muddled economic environment. The negative dip shown in Thursday's first read on second quarter GDP activity, data that will be revised two more times, 
was driven mostly by a decline in inventory levels. Businesses in recent quarters have tried to replenish stockpiles drawn down during the pandemic and in trying to adjust for supply chain upheaval. They found themselves overstocked at a time when consumers have pulled back on some purchases. Investments made in inventory during the second quarter were therefore lower than they were in the first quarter. Quote, the general takeaway is the economy is slowing, and that's what the Federal Reserve wants, said Ryan Sweet, who leads real-time economics at Moody's Analytics. We're not in a recession. Well, yeah, we, we still had negative growth, but whatever. Like it, It's like you hear these economists, and it's like, like it's all vibes. Like they, 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 they're trying to like, oh, no, but really, you know, it, it's, as I said, like, right, you know, Two, co- two consecutive quarters in decline. That was a commonly used sign for, uh, you know, it's like they don't want to say it because, of course, like if consumer confidence goes out the window, then that's really going to accelerate things. So, right. Uh, although Thursday's initial estimate marked a sharp drop from 6.7 expansion, the economy underwent in the second quarter of 2021. The White House has been at Matin that the world's largest economy, despite being buffeted by decades-high inflation and a cascade of supply shocks, remains fundamentally sound. The administration even took unusual steps to publishing an explainer of sorts, maintaining that two consecutive quarters of economic contractions does not, in and of itself, constitute a recession. The White House posted a blog entry last week saying that in addition to GDP and data pertaining to the labor market, corporate and personal spending, Production and incomes all go into official determinations of a recession. The nonprofit National Bureau of Economic Research is the official arbiter of recessions and it is unlikely to render a verdict anytime soon. The group's business cycle dating committee typically weighs a plethora of statistics over a period of months before making a determination. Quote, they have a much stricter definition. It's a broad-based and persistent weakness in the economy, Sweet said, and this isn't broad-based. It's really concentrated in inventories and in trade. Trade was a big drag on first quarter GDP. Additionally, the labor market is doing well, he said. Monthly job gains averaged more than 450,000 through the first six months of the year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. However, while these gains are moderating, as anticipating the past few weeks have also seen jobless claims increase. On Thursday, the latest weekly jobless claims data from the BLS showed that the first-time claims for unemployment benefits were an estimated 256,000 for the week ending July 23rd. That total is 5,000 below the previous week's level, which was revised upwards by 2,000 or 10,000 claims to 261,000. Quote, jobless claims have definitely moved higher from this cyclical lows. Sweet said, I think that's more of a reflection of an economy shifting into lower gear. Economists say the biggest reason it would be premature to call a recession based on Thursday's numbers is that the data can and probably will change. Subsequent revisions to first quarter GDP figures, for instance, changed from an initial drop of 1.4 to 1.6, and Thursday's numbers are just the first of three estimates. Adjustments are the norm rather than the exception. Since the Commerce Department repeatedly refines its calculations as new information becomes available, about a third of initial GDP releases rely on statistical extrapolations and assumptions 
in the absence of hard data, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Quote, these are typically single points in time snapshots. It's almost like looking at a balance sheet versus an income statement over a quarter, said Eric Friedman, chief investment officer at U.S. Bank Wealth Management. Quote, new information can emerge, he said, and when it does, those variables change in outcome. Uh, yeah, sometimes the difference between estimates are significant revisions to GDP in the fourth quarter of 2008, for example, revealed the economic activity actually plunged by an annualized 8.4%, indicating a much deeper recession than the initial estimate of 3.8 suggested. Right now, the biggest smudge in the lens of preventing economists from getting clear pictures is a buildup of inventories and the corresponding imbalance in the country's usual trade flows. Quote, what you're starting to see and hear a lot about right now is that right now is what's happening with inventories. Inventories are an issue, both in terms of the mix of inventory retailers are holding as well as the amount, Friedman said. A rush to load up on goods during the previous two quarters was a miscalculation for companies like big box stores. Walmart and Target have both told investors they expect to cut prices in order to move products, but from a macroeconomic perspective, some experts think these missets imply the, the economy in the first quarter wasn't as anemic as the drop in GDP might otherwise imply. So, yeah, it's all uh, jargon here. But yeah, they're you know talking about contractions and they, they don't want to say that it's a recession because, oh, no, you see two two quarters, that's not a recession. And then they also talk about uh, jobs and, and such. Right. So, yeah. But really, you know, as they were talking about with inventories, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's piling up. And there's not enough consumption to take that out. So they're talking about making price cuts to get that inventory out. It's, yeah, you know. I, I would I would think that the biggest sign of a recession is uh, consumers uh, holding and saving because they can't consume only only purchasing bare minimum assets, paying for groceries, basic groceries, uh, transportation costs, utilities, and rent, and that's it. And then slowly but steadily, you start seeing other retail stores and other businesses going out because people aren't consuming. They're not spending. They're, they're saving. So, again, I'm not, like, super uh, in-depth with economics, but, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to mince their words and they're trying to, like, beat around the bush because they don't want to say it outright. They, they, they really don't because right now a recession and depression will really fuck things up. Like really, like, yeah, because you know I, I you know I, I I have to finish the grapes of wrath, but I'm reading through this and I'm just like, dude, like, you know I'm reading about like the the people helping each other out and like the sense of community and, it, and again you know of course it might be a little more nostalgic, but I'm just thinking like this is not going to happen here when we experience our own depression. It's not going to happen. <laughs> like it's going to be truly apocalyptic. So. I don't know, man. It's like, again, like these economists, they're 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 going off vibes, right? And they're just they're, they don't they don't want to say it outright, 
They don't want to say, no, we're in a recession and we're, yeah, they they don't want to say it because that's going to mess everything up. And yeah, I'm just sitting here just like, please just let everything hold together so I can finish my degree. And after that, I don't know, you know, again, like, because I still try to hold up for hope that maybe we can turn things around. But this status quo is rotten and it's very clearly going to collapse. It's only a matter of time. So anyway, so that's what the economic situation within the U.S. So speaking in a more political area, we've had a recent, uh, you know, recent political conventions uh, from conservatives, the alt-right, MAGA movement, and uh, basically they just had a full-on like fascist like rally. Christian nationalist rally in Texas and like it's just like you know I'm it's just like I don't listen to anybody anymore when they say no you're being hyperbolic and you're 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 reading too much into the into the media because you know of course like yeah it's like (laughs) I I you know you see stuff from CPAC and it's just like I'm like I, I cannot stress enough that you have to get a gun if you are a left-wing progressive person if you're a woman lgbtq person of color anyway it's just like just just get a gun man because these people are seriously like they keep saying what they want what they want to do they keep talking about like they're they're using this language like they, they literally just said fight the barbarians like they're using this language that is very clearly violent, very clearly genocidal, and we're we're just supposed to be like, oh, okay, well, this is just another Tuesday, right? <laughs> it's just crazy. So I'm reading from the Rolling Stone, uh, and they're talking about the, the, it's just a fascist uh, party. That's what it was. It's just a fascist rally. Like they literally had Viktor Orban, the the Hungarian prime minister, like you know, and he's very problematic, but. Yeah, man. So I'm reading from Rolling Stone, right? So stoking the culture wars is nothing new for CPAC, but with dark militant speeches and literal demonization of the MAGA movement's political opponents, the conservative convention in Dallas this week menaced America with what seemed to be a thinly built call for violence, all while seeking to whitewash the political mayhem of January 6th, casting Capitol Hill rioters as victims of a Democratic gulag. From Hungarian authoritarian Viktor Orban to former Trump advisor Steve Bannon to right-wing extremist Jack Posobiec, uh, conservative political action committee speakers urged an us-versus-them confrontation seemingly unbound from the constraints of electoral politics. Bannon, now the host of the War Room podcast, brought his bellicose message to CPAC, appearing as the headline speaker at the convention's Friday Night Ball, quote, We are at war. Bannon told the MAGA faithful, we are in a political and ideological war, repeating the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. Bannon insisted that Joe Biden is an illegitimate imposter, calling on Republicans to send shock troops to Washington. Bannon promised the crowd they had an opportunity to, quote, shatter the Democratic Party as a national political institution. He alleged that the party has been overrun by radical cultural Marxists and groomers who want to destroy the republic. Bannon insisted the GOP must pursue absolute victory 
over power, mad, and lawless Democrats, asserting, quote, there can be no half measures anymore. So again, like, I don't know what else you need from them. These guys are literally saying, we're at war. So, yeah, I'm going to get my gun. Yeah, I'm going to get whatever equipment I need to protect myself. I'm in fucking Texas, man. Jesus Christ. And then, of course, when you say this stuff, it, it, like, it's not Bannon who's the problem for making, like, literal, like, bellicose language talking about going to war and, like, a literal, like, political violence, you know, calling for political violence. That's not the problem. Arming yourself against it, that's the problem. Oh, no, because you see, because you're wasting your money. It's like, bro, like, these motherfuckers want to kill us. My God, that's just, anyway. I don't have patience for this anymore. So, also reading from, continuing, so they talk about Orban, uh, the Hungarian strongman, fond of Nazi-style rhetoric against race mixing, received standing ovations for his stark address to the MAGA faithful on Thursday. Orban declared, Orban described European Parliament and the federal government in Washington as, quote, the two fronts in the battle being fought for Western civilization, warning, today we hold neither of them, yet we need them both. Orban called on CPAC attendees and the far right in Europe to forge a global movement. Quote, we should unite our forces, Orban said, to take back Washington and Brussels. On Friday, Senator Ted Cruz, laying on a thick Texas accent for the home state crowd, envied against what he called, quote, power-hungry, abusive, totalitarian nitwits of the Biden administration and the democratically controlled Congress. Cruz likened his service in the Senate to that of a gladiator, quote, it's like the old Roman Colosseum where you slam on a breastplate and you grab a battle axe and you go fight the barbarians, he said of his Democrat colleagues, quote, as they say in the military world, uh, Cruz continued, it is a target-rich environment, God, these guys are fucking losers, man, oh my God, I mean, of course, they're not losers because they have real political power and wealth, but God, it's just like, like literal dehumanizing language oh they're barbarians oh no we have to go to war we have to bro like how 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 are we supposed to live at peace with this how how am i supposed to like this is the problem the problem isn't the the, the problem for most people is calling out this right-wing extremism because listen you know we just gotta live and learn in peace you got one side who literally is calling for genocide. Like, they're they're not saying it outright, but, like, this is the logical conclusion, is genocide. And then one side saying, hey, this side wants to commit a genocide. But the problem is the side calling out the genocidal maniacs. It's just ridiculous, man. Again, like, most liberals and normies, they want, they have this illusion of peace being that, oh, well, it's a difference of opinion. And then you got people like unironically saying, no, we shouldn't have race mixing and we we have to uh, seize political power by any means necessary. Hey, we just got to live with that, right? <laughs> so, right. Uh, right. Uh, Cruz then continued or Cruz then suggested that more than elections may be needed for conservatives to take back Washington from those he called cheese, in, cheese eating surrender monkeys. Yeah, the guy who literally fled the state to Cancun because we froze to death. Like, people like people were dying. Like, they left the dog. They, they abandoned the dog, dude. 
But he, oh no, but the Democrats are the surrender monkeys. Again, this is like, oh my God, I hate these people so much. Quote, we're on the cusp of something extraordinary in this country, and each of you are the vanguard. You are the dangerous radicals, like the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, like those who died at the Alamo. You are courageous heroes. The, yeah, he insisted fighting for liberty in our country. While CPAC has banned a few overt white nationalists from its ranks, including the noxious Hitler-praising live streamer Nick Fuentes, a welcome to its stage jock, Jack Posobiec, the Pizzagate conspiracy theorist recently denounced as a hate extremist by the Southern Poverty Law Center for his ties to, quote, white nationalists, anti-government extremists, members of the Proud Boys, and neo-Nazis. Posobiec took his turn in the spotlight to promote the new right, effectively the latest rebranding of the hateful alt-right, and he too painted the coming conflicts of the culture wars in militaristic terms. Quote, are you ready for new ideas to actually take the fight to the front lines? He asked, because that's where we live and we're not stopping. So, again, they're, they're using this language, this warlike language, calling Democrats monkeys and they're calling them barbarians. And this is, oh yeah, this is totally normal. This is completely normal. Right. And they're also talking about Orban uh, making comments, uh, he, you know, he, he is very much just far right wing. And, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's just crazy. Oh my God. It's just like, I don't know what to do, man. It's like this violence and this war that it is going to come. Again, like the civil war is coming, man. Like, again, like people, they, they never see, oh, oh, how could this have happened? And, of course, they never see the violence that was very clear and very obvious. And, like, it's just, yeah, man, I, I'm, you know, hopefully with this insurance job, I can make some real income because I'm going to buy whatever the fuck I need. <laughs> I'm just saying this out loud because, like, what the fuck? These motherfuckers can literally talk about uh, political extremism, political violence. But if I talk about defending myself from said violence, oh, watch list. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, right, yeah, man, and then, you know, they had Orban talking, like, uh, oh, well, hold on, let me see, because, like, they have a clip of him talking, hold on. The zero tolerance policy on racism and anti-Semitism, so accusing us is fake news, and those who make these claims are simply idiots. Yeah, so... Yeah, this guy is very clearly far right wing. And of course, they keep talking about the globalists. And it's just crazy, crazy, man. I, I'm just so tired of all this. I really am. And I talk about leaving the state, but I'm still in the U.S. And then it's like, well, if I leave the U.S., where do I go? Because, of course, like you're probably going to end up in some other place that also has far right extremism. So, as they're saying, they're trying to make this a global movement. So... Yeah, man, this is uh, not good. Not good what's happening. So, reading further from a, you know, from a Texas article, the Texas Observer, they're talking about uh, this is just a, a fascist circus, really. So, yeah, 
So I'm just reading from Texas Observer. Hundreds of die-hard right-wing activists descended on the Hilton and the Toll in Dallas for the Conservative Political Action Conference this week. It's the third CPAC event this year alone, following prior events in Orlando, Florida, and Budapest, Hungary. It's also the third CPAC event in a row which featured explicitly Christian nationalists and fascistic speakers. Before the speeches kicked off on Thursday, Christian musician Natasha Owens, who wore an American flag dress, branded with the logo of the Christian mobile phone company, gave a brief concert. My God, these people are so fucking weird. (laughs) It's just so fucking weird, man. Quote, "Uh, You know, President Trump coined the term America first, she said, when she attempted to launch into the eponymously named song, the wrong music played instead. Incidentally, the term America first was initially proper initially popularized by pro-Nazi groups in the U.S. and was also used by the Ku Klux Klan. Man. Man. And and these are the same people that are like, oh, no, but you see, because the Ku Klux Klan was founded by the Democrats, so the Democrats are the real racist. Ha-ha! Checkmate! (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous. Wait, 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 what's the sudden strategy? What? I don't... Anyway. Uh, Though only two of the speakers on Thursdays were Texas politicians... The introductory session, quote, Texas, the start of the big red wave, placed the state at the center of the American conservative movement. There are two big red engines to our politics and economy, said Matt Schlapp, chairman of CPEC. As many of you know, we had CPEC Florida, and it's right here, and it's right to be here in Texas. This is a quote from Greg Abbott, too. If you want to pitch in and help out, you can buy your own border bus, because... Greg Gabbett has been ferrying migrants like into Washington, D.C., and I believe he also did it in New York. This is just ridiculous what's happening. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott was the first guest brought to the stage where he spoke in front of more than a half-empty room about the border. Elon Musk, California liberals, critical race theory, the ongoing program to bus undocumented immigrants to Washington, D.C., and why he thinks Republicans will win big with Hispanics and Latino in Texas. Quote, if you want to pitch in and help out, you can buy your own border bus. Abbott said to the crowd, you can help uh, fund sending all these folks to Washington, D.C. and make them deal with the problem. Out of all the Abbott statements, this one seemed to garner the most excitement from the crowd. A major thing among speakers at the conference, aside from the officially stated one, uh, Fire Pelosi, Save America, was Christian identity and nationalism. In addition to leading the crowd in prayer, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick took a page right out of the John Birch Society playbook by proclaiming that the Constitution was literally written by God. Quote, We are a nation founded upon not the words of our founders, but the words of God's because we, because he wrote the Constitution. We are a Christian nation, or we were a Christian nation, and lost that for many years. This is so ridiculous, man. God, like, yeah, man. I'm telling you, man, get a fucking gun, man. I'm I'm serious. Get a gun and learn how to shoot. Because these guys are really, they're, they're going for it, man. They keep telling you what, what they're about, and it's like, oh, why are you preparing for a war? Because these motherfuckers keep saying that they want a war. <laughs> God. Yeah. And again, like, and you know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to, like, defend the founders. But at the very least, they got that one aspect right of separating church and state. You know, 
like again you know the bill of rights like i think you know we can separate that from the founders you know thomas jefferson and all of them is of course those guys were very problematic but the bill of rights i think most people would agree is good but of course what they're saying is no you see because god wrote that god wrote that the state shall not endorse any religion right <laughs> like it's fucking ridiculous i just Oh my God, man! This, we're we're going. I don't know, man. This, this is this is bad. This is really bad. Uh, so uh, right, continuing. Also, they're talking about Viktor Orban, and he said, "You know, all oh, the the globalists can go to hell, and I have come to Texas." And other bellicose language, and yeah. So right, it's also reading further. Um, but yeah, but not everyone was thrilled with the Hungarians' present presence in Dallas. In the atrium of the hotel, two groups of protesters dis- expressed their displeasure. One group covertly hung a banner, banner and dropped flyers condemning the conference before dashing away. Another group, which included a legendary civil rights activist who worked alongside Martin Luther King, Reverend Peter Johnson, held banners specifically condemning Orban's presence before being escorted out by Dallas police. Quote, Dr. King told me that as long as I live, I have to stand up against bigotry, anti-Semitism, and racism, Johnson told the Texas Observer, so I'm standing up. Johnson was joined by Marianne Thompson Frank, a socialite from Dallas who also spoke out against Orban. It's very important for people to know that Orban stands for Holocaust denial, anti-Semitism, racial purity, and is against interracial marriage, which of course these conservatives love. So when you say that stuff to them, they're like, Okay, good. Like, they, they love that. They love that shit. That's why they invited him. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, Thompson Frank said, quote, I don't think a lot of Republican people actually agree with that, but they need to speak out and let the leaders know that they don't endorse that. But, you know, this is, again, one of those situations where it's like, well, the the good people need to stand up and they need to speak out. And they, 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 they never do because they agree with this stuff. They just don't want to say it out loud because they know it's problematic. But they're waiting for the right opportunity. Which is why we're seeing this language getting more heated and more heated. Because we're reaching a tipping point, man. Like, seriously. Like, we could see some violence uh, this midterm election. Like, dude. Like, I'm being hyperbolic and saying stuff like that. But, like, we're, we're reaching an unprecedented situation. And there's some other... um. I keep forgetting to cover it, but there, there's uh, the, the court cases with the Supreme Court, you know, basically just taking on the side of uh, gerrymandering. And this is like we're watching our democracy slip away and like literal fascism, literal fascism. And then once the fascist like like at, like at what point, like, do you literally need to see swastikas on the Capitol in the White House? And then when that happens, what then? Oh, well, there's just Nazis in power and. We have to live with that. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? My God. We're, like, this is so bad. This is so bad. So, uh, former Republican Congressman Alan Steelman issued a statement in response to Orban's presence as well. Quote, Is this what the party of Lincoln, Eisenhower, Reagan, and Bush has come to? Steelman wrote, Orban's record and spoken word during his 12 years in office are clearly those of a white supremacist, an anti-Semite, and anti-immigrant leader. But that's what they love. And yeah, this is what they've turned into. 
This is what the Republicans are now. A sense of subtle anti-Semitism pervaded a number of comments made by speakers, Orban included. Orban claimed that all the worst things in history were orchestrated by people who hate Christianity and juxtaposed these comments by describing George Soros, a Hungarian Jewish investor and philanthropist who is a common boogeyman among the far right as his opponent. And they had the Papa John guy. Yeah, Papa John Schnatter told the crowd there are five evil entities that own the processed food and pharmaceutical industries, suggesting the former make you sick, so you take the latter, as well as media and academia. But he was not talking about the recently released conspiracy theory themed Mike Myers show, The Pentavert. He claimed this all somehow ties back to the Frankfurt School, a group of primarily Jewish left-wing intellectuals and academics uh, founded during the Weimar Republic in the lead-up to Nazi Germany. Does become the villain of the far-right cultural Marxist conspiracy theory, which itself is a rehashing of Nazi propaganda terms cultural Bolshevism. So, very, so interesting when you hear all these anti-communist propaganda points. Wow, 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 so interesting. They, were, they go all the way back to literal Nazi propaganda and talking points. I just, who could have thought? Who could have thought? So, yeah, you know, and some other key points here but this is just yeah this is you know you see stuff like this and it just makes your skin crawl and again dude i'm just like i'm just telling you guys man like get a gun that's all I, that's the only advice i have and partner up start forming a squad or something because these assholes they're gonna do it they keep telling you that they're gonna do it and then when they do it everybody's shocked what Again, I'm just, yeah, I think this, you know, I've, again, I'm a bit drowsy from, like, the medicine that I'm taking, but it's just so crazy that, it's like I'm getting a migraine just thinking about this, because it's just so, you tell people what they're about, and they tell you what they're about, but, yeah, it's just crazy. So, anyway, so, you know, we're following... You know that's that's basically the domestic segment, and uh, we're just following this new development. You know, you know. I'm just while I was speaking about the econ economics and politics, and now we're going to see a, a new development with pandemics that are happening, and uh, you know, this is me segueing into the inter the, the natural segment. Uh, but yeah, the U.S. right now, uh, it's it's a bit of a petri dish, and yeah, it's just we're, 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 this is going to be a common theme now. It's going to be outbreaks. There's going to be infectious diseases spreading, and our healthcare system is not prepared for that. It is not, and uh, I don't know, man. You know, we got school starting up in a couple weeks, and things are going to get hectic. Things are going to get bad. Yeah, man, it just keeps getting worse, and. You know, all you can do really is keep your head low and wear your mask. And, you know, of course, this monkeypox disease spreads through physical contact. So, yeah, uh, start investing again with uh, sanitizers. I mean, you got to beat the punch because there's going to be another supply chain shock and possibly another lockdown. I mean, they're talking about now 
possibly declaring a health emergency, but yeah, like the, the economy can't handle another lockdown and people not going to work. Uh, you know, yeah, man, this is crazy. It's going to be crazy because like we're, we're most likely we're probably going to walk around and see somebody with some monkeypox scars because like they, they, they just had no choice but to go out, you know? Anyway, so yeah, this, this outbreak is slowly developing. As of now, there have nearly been 6,000 cases reported in the U.S. since May. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is spreading. And of course, though, they're trying to portray portray this as a gay disease. <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculous, man. This is ridiculous. What's happening? And of course, like there's a question of vaccine distributions and uh, all this other stuff. That's um, yeah, man. It's just uh, you know we're we're entering a very very dangerous situation. Uh, with these infectious diseases and pandemics, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only taking like one lecture class. And so I'm going to have to take like extreme precautions to ensure I don't get sick. Cause again, like I haven't been sick with anything through this whole pandemic because I've been such a recluse. Of course, everybody's going back out now. Cause, Oh no, I have to go to the bar. I have to go clubbing. And I'm just like, I've already accepted that the train has left the station and it's not coming back. I, and plus like even before the pandemic, like going out like that wasn't really my, my area, but Hey, you know, people are young. We're in our twenties. We want to be adventurous, but it's, yeah, it's not even worth it anymore with all this that's happening. And then, and then you have to worry about getting sick. And then also getting shot or getting in some kind of fight or, you know, uh, you know, mass shooting or like there's there's no point at all going out into the public, really, except for like basic essentials. And I know I sound like some like uh, agoraphobic uh, recluse, but dude, like the collapse is here and it's inescapable. And I know people want to have their lives and they want to go out. I know I can get some like cabin fever or like. Just being stuck inside all the time, but it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. But you do your life, man. You do what you want. Uh, you know, I don't want to tell you to not go out, but don't be surprised if some shit pops off. That's what I'm saying. You know, and, you know, I'm talking about this, you know, monkeypox disease, and yeah, man, you know, the, the the people that I live around, what a surprise! They've all been infected with COVID. Because they had to go out. They just, oh, but I have to. I have to because, you know, I, I want to have fun. And you're, you're such a downer, Gabe. Because, you know, you always have, you're such, you, again, this is what I mean, though. Because everybody's on vibes, okay? Everything's about vibes, right? Man, you know, you're, you're constantly reminding me of my impending mortality and our, you know, mass extinction and climate change, man. You know, you just got to change your attitude. You just... Like, what the fuck? You think I'm going to, like, I already opened Pandora's box and you want me to close it. That's not going to happen. So then the only solution then is, well, um, Gabriel is a, you know, he's a downer. You know, he brings everybody's moon down. So we just won't hang out with him anymore. I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, like, again, I, I know I sound 
like a dickhead. But this is the only thing left to do now. This is the only thing left to do because nobody wants to fucking do anything. So I'm just going to... Fuck it. I told you. <laughs> I fucking told you so. That's really the only thing that's left. <sighs> yeah. So anyway. um. So we, we were talking about the monkeypox and that uh, a spread and infection that's occurring. But as I also mentioned earlier, we have polio. So things are great right now. This is awesome. This is... Yes, polio, man. We're we're back in the fucking 1900s. You know, we're you know we're this is when I say we're we're gonna have a great depression. I, like <laughs> polio is coming back. Like, oh man, this is great. Oh my god, I just this things are so bad. This is so bad. But this is in New York, and they're saying that this is the tip of the iceberg, and hundreds of others could be infected, and polio is super super infected infectious like it, it can spread like like i believe fdr he got sick from it from swimming in his pool so like this is super super infectious you know <laughs> like we still have people in iron lungs today because they got infected as children and we're, we're gonna see it again this is wow so anyway because like what, what polio does you know if you're not super aware of it it effectively paralyzes it like it affects your ner- or your nervous system so that's why fdr was paralyzed and he was in a wheelchair that's why there are certain folks they're they're so paralyzed that they can't breathe so they have to get the iron lung to uh you know allow them to breathe it's like it's a nasty nasty disease like this is like one of the whenever anti-vax talking points were made like this was like the one thing where it's like okay well, then how come polio and smallpox is gone? Because of vaccinations. But because these assholes actually, like, had some power and they actually, like, convinced folks not to take vaccinations, now we have polio. And our healthcare system is not ready for this. It's not. We're like, dude, no, man. My goodness, man. Like, this, we, we are about to experience in the coming years through infectious diseases a horrific die-off. Yeah, horrific like this is gonna be so bad so so bad so right so i'm reading from uh, cnbc and so hundreds what they're saying hundreds could have the polio virus after an adult in the new york city uh, new york city metro area caught the virus and suffered paralysis last month the state's top health officials said this week new york state health commissioner mary bassett warned that the confirmed polio case in an unvaccinated adult coupled with detection of the virus in sewage outside the nation's largest city could indicate a bigger outbreak is underway. Quote, based on earlier polio outbreaks, New Yorkers should know that for every one case of paralytic polio observed, there may be hundreds of other people infected, Bassett said. Coupled with the latest wastewater findings, the department is treating the single case of polio as just the tip of the iceberg in a much greater potential spread. Bassett said it is crucial that children are vaccinated by the time they are two months, and all adults, including pregnant women who have not received their shots, should do so immediately. As we learn more, what we do know is clear. The danger of polio is present in New York today, Bassett said. New York State health officials confirmed last month that an unvaccinated adult in Rockland County had caught polio and was hospitalized with paralysis. 
Health officials subsequently found three positive polio samples in the Rockland County wastewater and four positive samples in the sewage adjacent Orange County. The sewage samples that tested positive for polio are genetically linked to the strain which the unvaccinated adult caught. The findings do not indicate that the individual was caught, who caught polio was the source of transmission, but local spread could be underway, health officials said. Quote, These findings provide further evidence of local, not international, transmissions of the polio virus that can cause paralysis and potential community spread, underscoring the urgency of every New York adult and child getting immunized, the New York State Department of Health said. Rockland County has a polio vaccination rate of 60%, while Orange County has a vaccination rate of 58%. According to health officials, the statewide vaccination rate for polio is nearly 79%. The U.S. was declared polio-free in 1979, and the case had not originated in the country since then. But travelers have occasionally brought the virus into the U.S. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, New York last confirmed a polio case in 1990, and the U.S. previously confirmed a case in 2013 according to state health officials. Children should receive four doses of the vaccine. The first dose should be administered by two months of age, uh, the second at four months, the third at 18 months, and the fourth by age six, according to state health officials. Unvaccinated adults should receive three doses. And uh, yeah, polio is a highly infectious, devastating virus that can cause paralysis. The virus struck fear into parents' hearts in the 1940s before the vaccine were available. Uh, more than 35,000 people became paralyzed every year from polio during that period, but a successful vaccination campaign in the 1950s and 60s dramatically reduced, reduced the number of cases. Right. So, yeah, man. We're, like, no measles came back, right? We're going to get polio. Like, what else? Smallpox, bubonic plague. I mean, like, there there was some reports of bubonic plague in isolated areas. So, bruh. Like, this is going to get bad. This is really going to get bad. This, this, things are not going in the right direction. But, right, the, we're just, as I said, it's the tip of the iceberg. We, 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 we don't even know fully what's going to happen. And we just have to, because, you know, they have one confirmed case, and that means hundreds more could be infected. And then those people are going to spread it. And again, they say it's highly, highly infectious. Like, again, it can spread through the pool. Like, if you go swimming in the pool, like, it can spread through that. Like, it's crazy. So, we, you know, we have to follow this. You know, the monkeypox and the polio. And who knows what else is going to come down the way. Because we are, uh, yeah, man. We're, we're seriously living in contagion. Who knows if we are uh, going to experience a second lockdown. Which, of course... Would mess things up, like truly mess things up. And yeah, man, it's just, yeah, this is going to happen. So that's infectious diseases and where things are headed. Yeah, man, it's not good news. Not good news at all. So anyway, continuing onward with uh, just more climate news and climate reports. Um, you know, we're experiencing a record-breaking drought, and right now what they're saying is that Lake Mead, which is the body of water that was created from the creation of the Hoover Dam, is at a record 
uh, levels, record levels of a drop. Yeah, and there's concerns of whether it would uh, reach uh, Deadpool status, you know, which would basically mean that the water levels are so low that they can't flow downstream to power hydroelectric, hydroelectric stations. And the Hoover Dam is a huge source of power for the West. It, it powers uh, Las Vegas, very much powers Southern California. So millions of people get power from this thing. And yeah, it's um very, very clear, uh, very, very serious situation that's unfolding. So yeah, so reading from uh, CBS, so millions of people in the Western US are at risk of seeing reduced access to both water and power as two of the nation's biggest reserves continue to dry up inch by inch. The United Nations issued a warning on Tuesday that the water levels in Lake Mead and Lake Powell are at their lowest ever and are getting perilously close to reaching Deadpool status. Such a status means that the water levels are so low the water can't float downstream to power hydroelectric stations. At Lake Mead, located in Nevada and Arizona, the country's largest artificial body of water, levels have gotten so low that it's essentially become a graveyard. Human remains, dried out fish, and a sunken boat dating back to World War II have so far been revealed from underneath the now shallow waters. The walls of the lake are dividing are divided by two contrasting colors that reveal the line at which the water once sat. That's it's just crazy, crazy, crazy. Wow. Right. Uh, at maximum capacity, the lake should reach an elevation of 1,220 feet, according to NASA's Earth Observatory. On this day in 2020, Lake Mead sat at 1,084 feet above the mean sea level. Today, it's 1,040. NASA said that this is, could be the worst drought in the region in 12 centuries, and that water levels must remain, uh, must stay above 1,000 feet to continue providing power at normal levels. Lake Powell, which sits in Utah and Arizona, is the nation's second largest artificial reservoir and is seeing a similar situation. The the last time the lake was full was in 1999, but the water is dozens of feet lower than it was just last year. As of Thursday, it was only a quarter full. Both lakes provide water and electricity to tens of millions of people across seven states, as well as irrigation water for agriculture. United Nations Environment Program ecosystems expert Lise Mullen Berthardt said that the conditions, quote, have been so dry for more than 20 years that we're no longer speaking of a drought. The climate crisis and overconsumption of water are to blame, the UN says. Quote, we refer to this as aridification, a new very dry normal, they said in the statement. And even if water cuts are introduced to try and ration the supply, it might not be enough. Climate change is at the heart of the issue. UNEP's North American Ecosystem Officer Maria Morgado said, in the long term, we need to address the root causes of climate change as well as water demands. Those water demands are only compounded by the climate crisis, the UN said, as many of the country faces, as much of the country faces a brutal circumstance of more frequent and more intense droughts and extreme heat. 
These conditions are alarming, Bernhardt said, and particularly in the Lake Powell and Lake Mead region, it is the perfect storm. The U.S. is one of 23 countries that have faced drought emergencies between 2020 and 2022, according to a drought report by the U.N. earlier by this year. Water stress is relatively high in the nation, as nearly three-quarters of available renewable water supplies get used up every year. Along with the public health and infrastructure burden, this also creates a financial one. In 2020, California lost between 10 to $20 billion from wildfires and droughts. While droughts only make up about 15% of natural disasters, they cause 60% of the extreme weather deaths worldwide. In less than 30 years, scientists predict that more than three quarters of the world populations will be impacted. Yeah, man, it's getting hot. <laughs> it's getting hot. Man, we're so fucking dead. But yeah, man, yeah, as everyone's saying, you know, the, the water levels are declining and they're finding all kinds of treasure. And by treasure, uh, I mean like, you know, uh, certain uh deposits made by a uh, las vegas mafia you know people hey, he's swimming with the fishes don't worry about it hey oh forget about it we, so we take you to the hoover dam hey <laughs> oh my god this is crazy yeah they're saying um that they, they found the fourth set of human skeletal remains this is just, this is crazy man <laughs> Yeah, it's just a dumping ground. This is crazy. Yeah, but they said um on May first. I'm reading from uh, local Las Vegas uh, uh, agent or uh, media. On May first, a skeletal body was found inside a barrel in a Hemingway Harbor. Police believe that the person was shot to death sometime in the mid 1970s to early 80s. So this is probably you know I'm um, watching Casino right. It's probably Joe Pesci. You motherfucker! You don't fucking talk. <laughs> this is probably that dude dumping bodies. Yeah, man, this is crazy, crazy, crazy. But this is just you know the treasure that they're finding. But yeah, so that's what's happening with Lake Mead, and you know the actually there was like an explosion at the Hoover Dam. So I don't know if that's related at all with that, but you know the the power situation is a big concern for. It's a big, big concern for those western states, especially with the Hoover Dam. So who knows what happens. And yeah, I mean, uh, we might see some water wars between the states, between Nevada, between California. Yeah, man, it's not it's not going to end well. So before I wrap up with the, pro- the podcast, I want to talk at least uh, with, I talk at least about another natural disaster that had occurred. Uh, particularly with St. Louis, and so they had a flood, a pretty serious flood, and uh, it's said to have been like just record levels of rainfall, record levels of flooding, and people are still trying to recover from that. Uh, And I'm just reading from a local uh, St. Louis uh, article. So a uh, Hazelwood mom trekked to the Flood Recovery Assistance Center at Friendly Temple Church in North North st louis with two little girls in tow quote right now i'm going house to house place to place place to place tonight we're spending the night in a shelter she said uh, she said flood flash floods recently destroyed their apartment the building has been condemned 
We have had five feet of water that filled our apartment, she said. At Friday afternoon, the mom was among hundreds of desperate flood victims, completed paperwork, stood in long lines, and hoped that they finally get some help from the state-run center. Quote, we lost bedding, clothes, furniture, everything, added the mom. Volunteers from several organizations, including the American Red Cross, assisted the flood victims with temporary housing, food stamp replacements, and mental health counseling. Yeah, they uh, have received problems. Uh, heavy rain slowed efforts in Florissant on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Long lines discouraged flood victims. Quote, I'm disappointed and upset, said the Hazelwood mom while crying. We tried everything, said Amia Fain, who showed up with her five-month-old and her mom. Shelter is the biggest thing. We don't have a home over our heads. It's really frustrating because they have the people from yesterday with the paperwork going ahead of us. Earlier this week, they were turned down. They were turned away twice. Quote, we always wanted to be better. We always want to do more because we're at capacity. And there are some who had to get turned away today, said Terry Castle, deputy director of the State Emergency Management Agency. The final stop for the flood victims was out in the church's parking lot. There they went through a drive through style pickup for food, toiletries, and other supplies. Despite the challenges, summer heat and humidity, Danielle Smith left with a smile. Quote, I think it is a blessing that we have a community that, that we have people helping the community, said Smith. Helping hands that will do it again next week. Quote, we're not sure of the locations right now. That's one of the things we're working on. These folks need our help, and that's our job to help out, and we're going to be there for them, Castle said. So, right. Uh, dealing with flooding there and just trying to get by, and that I was certainly living a situation like that after, after Harvey. Very, very, yeah, very interesting situation that I was basically just a refugee, and I still had to go into work. I, I like no joke, like I had nothing. I didn't even have a comb, right, to to brush my hair. So like I just went to work looking like 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 shit oh my god i'm just thinking about that time and yeah these jumps were like literally saying like oh can you come in i'm like if you got a boat sure <laughs> i'm just wow crazy but yeah man that's what's happening and uh yeah we're just in the thick of it we're just dealing with a lot especially you know with this china taiwan escalation and also with this like fascist rally in Texas and in Dallas and yeah we're just yeah we're just dealing with it and we're just trying to get by and make sense of it but we just gotta keep our head low and yeah just buy our time really it's just it's yeah it's just buying our time because like I don't I don't know man I just don't have any hope for the future I don't I'm literally just doing stuff day to day but then when people ask me oh what's your plan for the future i have to make up some bullshit because i have no hope i don't i don't know we might end up in some fucking war in 10 years who the fuck knows like it's just fucking crazy what we're dealing with yeah man i don't know i'll be honest i've been like i said because i'm like dealing with this infection and i'm trying to take antibiotics for it but it's, uh, I don't know, man, because I don't have any insurance now. So I now have to pay out of pocket for everything. So it's like, uh, I just, 
I just want classes to start. I just want to fucking get this degree over with. I don't know, man. I'm just, I, I don't know. Things can get so, so rough and, uh, it's just like, why, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? You know? And yeah, I'm, I'm literally just coasting through life. I have no sense of like what to do. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't mean to be so depressing. It's just, there's so much. And I got this, like, infection in my chest. And it literally feels like somebody's, like, burning a hole through my chest. Like, I just want to take a knife and cut this out. But I have to take my medicine. And I don't even know if it's working. Because, like, it's been, like, almost day three. And it's still there. Yeah, man. So, we have to see. We have to see, indeed. Because we are in a bad place right now things are not looking right things are not going in a good direction yeah man I don't need to end on a somber note I'm just I'm tired I'm on medicine I don't I don't feel feverish so I don't think I'm going I don't think I'm experiencing sepsis but yeah I'm just this this week I try to take it easy and I don't know man it's hard not to fall into a depression but yeah just gonna do what i gotta do right so yeah so at least thank you for tuning in and listening through my ramblings and ranting but you know i just just you know live life and do what you can and try not to fall into a dark place which isn't it's easier said than done but you know it's yeah, it's just things were going. But yeah. But uh, thank you at least for tuning in and listening to me. And I hope at least your life is going far better than mine. So yeah, thank you all. <laughs>